0: Well, turn with me over to 2 Timothy 1. Um, We're going to be looking at verse 5 and then chapter 3, verse 15. And yes, we are still going through uh, 1 Timothy, but for this morning's message, I want to be in 2 Timothy. And I want to look at the the words and the the instruction that um, Timothy receives about his own upbringing. So as you make your way there, I want to read a passage from the Old Testament. It says... Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain lo- loyal to the wife of your youth. At a time in the nation of Israel's history when uh, the family was being neglected and um, attention given to uh, marriage as it ought to be, the Lord gives this word to the prophet Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, to remind the people of Israel that the Lord wanted a godly offspring. And this is one of the purposes for which the Lord has brought man and uh, woman together in the, in the marriage unit. It's not the only reason, okay? There's some that can't have children that don't have children. This is not the only reason, But where there are children and where that family unit exists, the Lord wants that family, that mom and dad, He wants them to give to Him a godly offspring. That's His desire. That is what He is after. This is what He wants from from, uh, moms. This is what He wants from dads. I'm not going to take much time to, to emphasize this point. But do know that a big part of raising your children in the ways of the Lord is that you guard your heart and you remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And you remain loyal to the, the, the husband of your youth, to the person that you're married to. You don't just endure, but you are walking in loyalty and faithfulness to them. And that lays the groundwork to then raise up children. And there is grace for this. Praise the Lord. I think we all would admit we need lots of grace. And he gives that grace. But this is where it begins. Now in 2 Timothy, as Paul writes this second time to him, he is going to commend him. And he's going to assure him that his faith and his steadfastness, they're the real deal. Now, Timothy needed to hear that. And we know he needed to hear that because Paul does this many times in in 2 Timothy, is to assure uh, uh, Timothy that he has a genuine faith, a real faith, and to keep pressing on. So he writes to do that. There was much hardship in being a follower of Jesus Christ and serving on Paul's uh, uh, missionary team. There's lots of persecution, there's lots of hostility from without, that is from those who were not believers, but there was a lot that was from within, that is difficulties and struggles within the church and people um, getting in that didn't belong in and, and creating chaos and hardship for Timothy. It was a difficult job and so he writes to him to encourage him and to strengthen him Many of the men who had followed with Paul and were um, companions with Timothy in the missionary work of the first century church were no longer standing. They were gone. We think of men like Demas, who forsook the Lord because he loved the world, the present world, more than he loved the Lord. And so Timothy saw the ranks diminishing around him, those people that he, he knew so well. And now he's finding himself in the heat of the battle. And so Paul writes to encourage him. And what he is saying to him is, there's something special about what has been planted in your life, Timothy. There's a, there's a heritage. There's a history in your faith that is significant. And he's going to re, re, point to that. He's going to bring his attention back to the way he grew up you know, pressure and persecution revealed their real faith and that it was not genuine. But for Timothy, Paul's going to say, yours is real. It is genuine. And recall how you were raised. And he says, I'm confident the way you were raised has produced in you something that is different than the kind of faith that is seen among those who walk away and forsake. So in 2 Timothy 1, and I'll begin here reading verses 3 through 5. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of, you, of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, When I call to remembrance, look at this, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt it abided first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Paul was saying, this isn't a phony faith that you have. This is not a hypocritical faith. It is a sincere faith. The word that Paul uses here in verse 5 for genuine is a word that you're probably familiar with. We know the word hypocrite, You've heard maybe the Greek word for uh, hypocrite, hypocrites, and this is a this is an act that was used of an actor, somebody who played out a role. That's one way in which the word was used, but it was also used of somebody who was a phony. So the, p- Timothy, of course, is not a phony. Um, he's not a hypocrite. He's not a hypocrites. So Paul says, the, "You're you're unhypocritical. You're anapokritos which is a way of saying not. You add the A, it's not. It becomes a negative. You're not a hypocrite. And so as you read there in verse 5, he says, I call to remembrance that you're not a hypocrite. Timothy, you are the real deal. Your faith is genuine. Your belief is genuine. It's what your grandmother Lois had. It's what your mother Eunice had. And they passed this on to you. Timothy's faith did not appear one way in public and then another in private. It was the same. There was no acting. His faith was able to stand and had stood the test of time and enduring those trials. So what was it about Eunice, Timothy's mother? Timothy's father was not a believer, but His mother and his grandmother were. What was it that his mother did that was so significant that allowed young Timothy to grow up in a a home that was divided in faith, to put his trust in Jesus eventually when they learned of the Messiah and that they believed in him. His mom and grandmother were were, uh, Jewish believers. They were faithful followers waiting for the Messiah. When the Messiah came, they believed in him. And then Timothy also came to believe. Well, if we move in later on into this book, chapter 3, verse 15, we read, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Jesus, Christ Jesus. So I've got nine points that I want us to consider. And this first one comes out of uh, Paul's statement to... Timothy there in verse 15. How did they raise Timothy up in the faith? Now we we have one clear point here, but there's other truths that I want to talk about, Uh, eight other points that I want to bring to your attention of how we need to raise our children to be sincere, genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Not fair-weathered followers, not followers that are going to be around for a little while. But as soon as the storm hits, and as soon as it gets difficult, that they crumble and they wilt under the the scorching heat of that trial and difficulty, and they wither away, and they fade back. We all want our children. We want to be of that kind of faith, and we want our children to be of that kind of faith, that they're sincere and genuine. And the first thing that we read there in verse 15 is that He had known the scriptures from childhood. How did he know them? Because they had been passed on to him by his mother. And, you know, dads have this responsibility as well. I'm not going to underestimate that. It's Mother's Day, though, so let me just make this point. In most situations, and all of our lives are different, so I'm only speaking in most situations, moms are going to have more time with their kids throughout the day and throughout their lives than dad will. That's not to say dad has any excuse to be absent, but when he has that time, he must redeem it all the more. But moms are the ones that typically are spending more time with their kids. And this is what we should be doing. We should be teaching them the scripture. I want you to think about that. I want you to ponder that. They didn't have Bible app. They didn't even have a Bible. They had the scrolls that were kept at a synagogue. Where was the word of God? In the household of Timothy. It was in the heart and it was in the mind and on the lips of mom. She was talking about the faith. She was talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She was passing on to Timothy. One day our Messiah will come and made his heart ready for when that Messiah came and she was able to point to Him. And this is so important. We have so much advantage today because we do have our Bibles. We have them. We have multiple Bibles in our homes. We have so much access, so, much, so many tools. But I just have to say to you, This is not so much about figuring out how to have a great devotion as it is about making certain that the Scriptures are in your own heart. I'll give you this promise. If you make certain the Word of God is saturated in your heart, mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, if you will make certain that the Word of God is in your heart, and that it's the, what's, what's coming out. It's what's uh, being talked about as you drive down the road, as you, you lay down at night. I mean, this is what we, we read from, right? In Deuteronomy 6, every single time we do a baby dedication at Calvary Chapel Lynchburg, we read from that passage of the importance of making certain the Word of God is in our heart and then that we diligently teach them to our children in all ways at all times. This is what was going on in Timothy's household, the word of God was being taught, making him wise for salvation, which they came to learn was in Jesus Christ. So I understand there are great tools out there. And if you're looking for a great tool to use, then use it. I have no problem with that. But I just want to tell you that if the word of God is not hidden in your heart, those tools are not going to be effective as they would be as you having no tools and just having your faith in Jesus Christ and your heart on fire for the Lord. When that happens in a mom's heart, the kids will learn. They may not learn on this coming Monday at 12 o'clock at devotional time, but they will learn over the months and the years of being in that house that they have a mom who knows the scriptures I'm not saying you've got to know the Greek, or you have to know all of the cross references. You just need to have a love for Jesus and a love for the Word and to pass on those important doctrines of the faith. You're like, oh, doctrine, that, that, that's where I, I find it difficult. Listen, you know this. Do you know that Jesus was born of a virgin? Do you know that he led a sinless life? Do you know that he pleased the Father? Do you know that he died on the cross? Do you know that he rose from the dead three days later and ascended to the right hand of the Father? Do you know that he's coming back? Do you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him? Then you know the Christian faith. That that is the Christian faith, and you can pass this on, and you should be, and I know that you are passing this on to your children, but lest some of you feel maybe like Timothy a little overwhelmed in the affair, a little overwhelmed in the mission. You're a mom that's on mission. And maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Listen, you have a genuine faith if you know those things and you believe those things. Live it out. Walk it out in front of the life of your children. Let them see your love for the Word. Let them see your love for the Word. It's more important that they see your love for the Word of God and you talking about the things of the Lord, then it is that you would sit down and have some structured time. Now, I'm not saying don't have a structured time. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm saying it just needs to be oozing out of you. And don't worry if the format is perfect. If you, it's in your heart and you're teaching your children and they're seeing that, it's going to take root in their life. So do not be discouraged. As they grow, you can then help them apply these truths when they come home from school, you're thinking, yeah, I can't wait for that to happen, for them to come home from school because they've been home. And I know many of you homeschool, but you have these opportunities where they come back from playing out in the neighborhood or with some friends and some conflict has happened. You have an opportunity to teach them. When they have a difficult teacher and they have a difficult student and things haven't gone fairly, you get a chance to teach them about how to endure difficulty, about how to endure hardship, about how not to become bitter when people don't treat you with kindness and with generosity. Let them see the importance of reading and living out the Word of God in their everyday situations. Well, what does the Word of God say? Let's talk about this. So the first point, and how we raise our kids to have genuine faith is that we teach them the Holy Scriptures. That which has come down from God to us. Secondly, we must teach them to pray. Acts 21.5 says, And when they had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. The kids were at the prayer meeting, Ezra 10.1. Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. They need to see us being real before God in prayer, bringing the heaviness of the moment in our lives, seeing us come before the Lord to pray for those that are going out onto the mission field or are facing danger like in Acts 21.5. We need to teach them to pray. The Lord wants your house, which is His house, to be a house of prayer. And this is what the Lord is seeking after. Pray with your kids. Teach them the importance of calling upon the name of Jesus. Jesus. Remind them that the Lord hears at all times. I encourage you in your house to make it a place where the word of God is being lived out, but where you're praying at all times and bringing them to the prayer meetings that we have. They must learn the importance of praying. It's not enough to say you need to read the scriptures. It's not enough to say when you get older, you got to pray. You've got to be doing that with them. Second, our third point is we need to teach them to praise we need to teach them the scriptures we need to teach them to pray we need to teach them to praise that or we could say we need to teach them to be thankful hebrews thirteen fifteen says therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name your kids need to hear your thankfulness to your maker, to your creator. They need to hear that praise that's coming from your lips. First Thessalonians 5, 16-18 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, it's so easy to uh, uh, allow our hearts to go to negative things. But we as Christians have every reason to be people of praise. And not only do we have reason to, we are commanded to be a people of praise that are offering up the good things the Lord has done in our life and is doing. And that in faith we even declare that he's going to see us through these times of trials. You know, natural speech, the natural way in which uh, the carnal person communicates is to complain and whine, whine and gripe about life. But 1 Corinthians 10.10 says, Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Complaining brings destruction. I'm a realist. Well, you can call it that if you want to, but if you're a whiner baby, you're a whiner baby. And if you're complaining... And not bringing God into this scenario and trusting that He's going to do it. But you're, you're, you're railing against this and you're railing against that. And you're mad about this and you're, you're upset at this person. And this is what your kids are he- hearing. Let me tell you, it is a destroyer in your household. It will undermine that genuine faith that you are wanting to raise your kids in. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This is not the language of the saint. It's the language of the carnal Christian. It's the language of the world. But for us, we are to be a people of praise. And you can be a realist and say, wow, this is a really hard situation. I don't know what's going to go on here. But you know what? Our God's in control. Let's begin to thank Him for His faithfulness in the past that He's going to see us through. Number four, we need to teach them to serve. If we want them to have a genuine faith, we've got to teach them to serve. Or if you want to write it down a different way, we need to teach our kids to give themselves away. Which means we need to be giving ourselves away. If we'll give ourselves away if we will serve others, if we will put their needs above our own, if we'll live out Philippians 2, esteeming the interest of others higher than our own, as Jesus did, it will have a profound impact upon their life. Let me read to you John 13, verses 14 through 17. If you then, if I then, excuse me, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I gave myself away, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you. Fulfillment, joy, happiness is found in the person who learns to give their life away. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Those who seek to save their life will, what? Lose it. But those who give their life away for the name of the Lord will find it. We live in a self-indulging society. I don't think I need to make that point. I think we all are pretty aware of that. Which totally feeds our flesh because that's what we want. We want to take care of ourselves. But in Christ... We want to please Him, and what pleases Him is us serving one another. Teach your kids to give themselves away, Mom. And you know, you're doing it every day. As you serve them, as you make their beds, as you are teaching them to make their beds. Because you know what? Sometimes it's easier just to make the bed. But you're giving, you're teaching them to to do the right thing in all of these areas of life, to be a servant, teaching them to serve their siblings, teaching them to serve their father, teaching them to serve their, uh, the, the, the family in the neighborhood. You've got to teach them to give themselves away. Their flesh is going to rebel against it, and that's okay. That is all right, because they're going to have to walk this out one day. A child that is raised to be be first will be a child that does not know the blessing that the Lord promises. They're not going to know that fulfillment. Give yourself away. Let them see you giving yourself away for the cause of Christ. Let them see you being tired and wearied and loving people. And they will see the value of it and praise the Lord. Oh, we got to be so careful. They don't hear us whining and complaining about serving other people. Number five, we need to teach them to have faith. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith it is impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we need to teach them to have faith in the Lord. But let me just take this application. We need to teach those that are believing to have faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And they need to see that in your life. And guess what? The Lord will make certain that you have plenty and ample opportunity to have faith in difficulties and in trials. When those challenges come, you know, you're a parent. You've got to, you've got to be wise on what you let the kids know is going on. But to never let them know about any crisis on any level or any trials or any heartache or any hardship, I, I don't think is wise. We need to appropriately bring them into the reality that life is difficult and challenging and hard. And that a lot of times we don't know what's going to happen. And there we need to display faith. Don't worry, the Lord is going to come through. And as our kids get older, they begin to have those things happen in their life. And you need to be there as a mom full of faith to saying, I know that the Lord is going to see you through this. I, may, I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. I just know that it's going to work out. I know that when it's all said and done, we're going to see the wisdom and the glory of God even in this circumstance. We need to teach them to have faith. Not to be wringing their hands, not to be desperate, And what's going to take place? Because our God is upon the throne. Our God is going to see us through. Number six, and it's closely related to point number four, but number six, we need to teach them to love others. 1 Corinthians 13. What does it mean to love others? It means to choose the highest good for another purpose, another person, despite the inconvenience and the sacrifice. Teach them to love. Don't indulge their self-centeredness. Number seven, teach them to endure hardships and trials. James 1, 2 through 2-4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, listen, listen to this, lacking nothing. The trials and the hardships that your kids go through. And listen, none of us like to see our kids go through trials and hardships. None of us like to see our kids in pain and to be sad and to be worried. No parent enjoys that, but it happens. And and this is the answer. We need to teach them to endure in those circumstances, not to give up, not to become distraught, But to stand fast, to stand fast, to believe that God is going to make them a better person through those circumstances. And so we bring them into the attitude of joy. We call them to have joy in their circumstances. Not because of their circumstances, in their circumstances. Number eight. We need to teach them to live in hope. Specifically, we need to teach them to live with a longing for the return of Jesus Christ. We need to teach them to, to, to expect that the Lord is going to show up at any moment. 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, this earth is going to pass away. What manner of persons you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness? Here it is, verse 12 looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We need to teach our children to be looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And that means, again, as in each of these points, it needs to be in our heart. We need to be longing for the day that Jesus is going to come bursting back and taking the church to be with him we need to be living with that kind of hope. Oh, but it's been so long. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We're closer to the return of Jesus or ourselves going to him than we've ever been. And that hope needs to be felt. It needs to be seen. The joy of it, the anticipation of it. And lastly, number nine, kind of a A point that has some new meaning right now. We need to teach them the priority of the church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 5. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching, we should have a greater emphasis upon the gathering together gather of the church of Jesus Christ for the purpose of stirring up love and good works. You know, next week when we come together again, we're going to have the chance to stir up one another face to face. We're going to have that chance to encourage one another. And, and this is the purpose. And, and we've all had this opportunity. <laughs> you call it an opportunity, whatever you want to call it. We've had this time where we all have had to step back from the the face-to-face gathering. We've had to go to these other formats. And praise the Lord for those formats. And we have this opportunity now to come back with a, a fresh priority of the church. I think and I believe that the greatest attitude among believers right now is church has never seemed more important to them than it does right now. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm also, a, yes, you can honk on that one. But I'm also concerned for those that maybe have gotten a little used to not having, to, having that extra time in the schedule. They're like, you know what, I kind of like this. I kind of like not, not having to, to serve. and kind of like having my own time. Listen, that is, if that is in your heart, if that's in your house, you need to deal with that with grace and kindness who doesn't like to have more time to themselves of course but we have to see the priority of the church of stirring up love and good works I, I just will say to you and if, if you have been coming to Calvary Chapel for years you know this I don't hound you I don't chase you down I don't send nasty grams about not being at church I mean we have people on Sunday mornings there's great attendance but I, I, I just want to, I want to encourage you parents, you moms, you dads, make church a priority in your house, in your schedule. Don't let everything push church around. Let church push everything else around in the schedule. Set it on the calendar. This is what we do. And, and to, to see the priority of it. And how much? Well, we read there in Hebrews, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Prioritize the prayer meetings. Prioritize the midweek. Prioritize the Sunday morning, those events. Now, I realize you can't come to everything that Calvary Chapel Lynchburg does. You can't. There's too much going on. So be deliberate about it and seek the Lord. Get on your face and say, Lord, fill our schedule out as we come back to some uh, a, a normal opportunity to attend church. How do we do this? And maybe you were coming to church all the time, but you had just gotten into the rut of coming without stating the priority and living out the priority of it. If we will walk out these nine things, then we will see our kids grow up with a genuine faith. It doesn't mean that they will ever they will never have a, a, a time where they are wayward. It's no no guarantee, but this is what it is so, so clear. So what are those nine points on how to raise godly children? Teach them the scriptures. Teach them to pray. Teach them to praise. Teach them to serve or to give themselves away. Teach them to have faith. Teach them to love others. Teach them to endure hardships and trials. Teach them to live in hope a longing for the return of Jesus Christ. And number nine, teach them the priority of the church. So moms and dads, this is how we do it. This is how we live it out. It's not just what we tell them to do, it's what we do. And when they see it in us and we lead them in that, it has the best opportunity to get, take root in their hearts, and they would grow up, and then they will be like Timothy, right? That when everybody else was falling away, and when the storm was standing, that people will say, you have a genuine faith, or what's that? You have an unhypocritical faith. You've got the real thing. It's not a phony faith. It's a genuine faith, and we need to encourage each other in that.